Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Shoots for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 29 of the 2020 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin April 23rd. That's right. The league is going to go ahead and push forward with the draft. No longer going to be in Las Vegas. Uh, you know, I know everyone was looking forward to the spectacle of, of the Bellagio Fountains as the backdrop there on the strip. The new site is yet to be determined. And really, we don't know exactly what the draft is going to look like. I know with the social distancing and practicing the sheltering at home, really not sure what the draft is going to look like. How many days are we going to have? Or is it going to be over the course of, of just a couple of days, three days, seven days? You know, We've heard some talk about that as well. Really not sure what that's going to look like, but... Um, you know, still looking forward to the fact that we are going to have a draft coming up here in under three weeks. And, and frankly, I look at this as an opportunity. I've been prefacing this with the last few podcasts that I've put together that look, we need these outlets. We need something that can take our mind off of things, really allow us to just, you know, I, I honestly need this as well. Need my, my podcast really immerse myself in all things draft. You know, have that escape and be able to talk about the NFL draft and look forward to the 2020 NFL season. Now, the season may look a lot different. We may not have a stadium of, of you know, 60, 70,000 people in it. But it sounds like, you know, with the way the league, they're trying to push things forward, trying to move things forward. As long as, you know, we can have a flattening of the curve with, with COVID-19, that's really the biggest thing. We don't know what that's going to look like and how that's going to really impact the 2020, you know, NFL football season. Right now, everything is on schedule. But you're also talking about, you know, what is that going to look like for uh, training camp? You know, guys getting ready, getting into game shape, and really being able to play with each other uh, and work with each other. What is that really going to look like? Um, you know, there are a lot of questions that have yet to be answered. And really, right now, we're still in, in the early stages of understanding what this is going to look like. You know, are, you know, how long will we be sheltering in place? What does, um, the, the social distancing, what that's gonna, what is that going to look like? We really don't know at this point. Um, but I think with the fact that the league is moving forward, this is still something that we can talk about. And really, like I said, this is kind of our escape, be able to talk about this a little bit. So that's why I want to bring these podcasts to you. What we've been doing over the course of the last few podcasts is really taking a look at all 32 teams going division by division to win a road show, if you will, um, although we're not really hitting the road, but in any event, taking a look at these teams and really taking a look at what what did the free agency do? How, how did free agency change the landscape of the the draft and the draft focus, the draft needs for each of these teams? You know, where were the the big needs? You know, what what actually got filled? Were there any needs that got filled? And if so, you know, what, how does that change the mindset of a team? And then what are the big holes that still need to be filled? You know, there are teams that are out there that lost, you know, for every every big star or every pivotal uh, starter or rotational player that, that was um, gained by one team, you're going to have a hole where those guys left. So you're really, you know, that's part of what we're doing here. We're going to take a look at all of these players, you know, how that fits in with the team needs, who are the players that are the right fit, and really what are the grades for these players in terms of the rounds and where they're coming off the board. So this podcast is going to be dedicated to the NFC South. 
Now with the NFC South, if you take a look at some of these teams, it looks like we're in rebuild mode. Carolina and Atlanta specifically. We'll get into those two teams. We'll take a look at the rosters. A lot of guys that they've really lost, you know, they've they've lost. Teams are going to look so much different. You know, either they've they've lost in in free agency or guys that they've just released and let go. Um, so you're really going to be seeing some different dynamics with each of these each of those teams. Tampa Bay, you've got Tom Brady, you've got the GOAT. What is that going to look like? You know, Tom Brady is going to have an influence on who they're going to be drafting. So you can imagine they're going to want to take, you know, take good care of him uh, up front and with some weapons. So I, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing that quite a bit out of Tampa Bay in uh, in the draft. And then obviously you have the N- NFC South champs, New Orleans Saints. What is all of this going to look like for them? Um, you know, Taysom Hill looks like he may be the heir apparent to, to Drew Brees. Um they may have finally found the quarterback. So really, where what direction are they going to go? Are they going to look for a receiver? Michael Thomas had a, an exceptional year, one of the more dominant uh, receiving seasons that we've seen in, in quite some time. He needs a running mate. But has that kind of tempered a little bit with the signing of Emmanuel Sanders? We'll take a look at that as well. So I don't want to really set things up too much more. Let's go ahead and jump right into things. Let's take a look at uh, Carolina. And we're going to go ahead and go in order of their first round selections. So we'll go Carolina, then Tampa Bay, Atlanta, and then we'll finish with the Saints. So starting off with Carolina, and Carolina sitting there at number seven overall. And obviously 2020 is going to be a huge transition year for Carolina. Ron Rivera out, Matt Rule in as head coach. Matt Rule does have some NFL experience, but I think everyone right now uh, really remembers him as the head coach of of the Temple Owls and most recently the Baylor Bears. Resurrected both of those programs, and I think that's really what Carolina is looking for at this point is a a young head coach that can really come in and and just kind of change the culture. And so you see that with a lot of the moves that have been, been made. You know, Cam Newton is out. He's no longer there. So what what happens? They bring in Teddy Bridgewater, and everyone's looking at it, going, "Well, that's interesting. You know, why why Teddy Bridgewater?" Well, I'll tell you, Joe Brady, yes, the Joe Brady, the guy who was brought in by Ed Orgeron there at LSU, worked with Joe Burrow, and you saw LSU's offense the way that it blew up. Joe Brady is now the offensive coordinator there in Carolina. Teddy Bridgewater worked with Joe Brady when the two of them were in New Orleans. So it seems like a perfect fit. You know, you've got a quarterback who actually understands the offense and be excited to see what he can do with with Joe Brady. Greg Olson, you know, one of those leaders, he's moved on. Um, and then on the defensive side, that's really where the bigger impact, I, I think, you know, more of the, um, I think in terms of the numbers, obviously Cam Newton losing him, that's a huge impact at the quarterback position. I don't, I don't want to uh, diminish that, uh, that loss in, in, in any way, but you look at the defense, just the sheer number of guys that they've lost up front, uh, especially. So the Panthers, they, they did finish second in the league in sacks, but 29 of their 53 sacks, that's over half of their sacks, by the way, uh, were registered by just four players. Gerald McCoy, Bruce Irvin, Mario Addison, and Vernon Butler. A couple of defensive tackles, a couple of defensive ends. They're all gone thanks to free agency. So adding an interior presence like Derek Brown is going to make a ton of sense here. But then there's Luke Keekley. 
Your middle linebacker was a seven-time Pro Bowler, five-time first-team All-Pro, named AP Defensive Player of the Year in 2013, averaged 137 tackles a game, while also racking up 18 interceptions, 12.5 sacks, seven forced fumbles, and eight seasons with the Panthers. His production, his versatility, his range, his leadership, that's going to be difficult to replace. You know, that's going to be, that's really going to be tough. I'm looking at more so if Isaiah Simmons is on the board, the type of athlete this guy is and the versatility and the range, maybe not as much in terms of the leadership, but when you're talking about a guy who can play all over the field, Isaiah Simmons is that guy. And if he's there on the board, Matt Rule would have a guy in the middle of his defense that really he can build that defense around. Phil Snow, he brought Phil Snow with him from Baylor. He'd really have that presence in the in the middle of his defense. He can really, you know, he can play linebacker, he can play safety, you can play him up on the line if you wanted to, have him cover in the slot. He can do it all. But he's probably going to be off the board. I've got him going to the Giants. They're at number four overall. I think that could absolutely happen. There are some people even predicting that he's going to go to the Lions number three. I don't know that that's going to happen, but uh, I think the Panthers sitting there at number seven. Um, at the end of the day, I'm looking at Derek Brown. I'm looking at Derek Brown, 6'5", 325 pounds out of Auburn. When you're looking at uh, the the three-man front currently there in Carolina, you have Stephen Weatherly, who they brought in from Minnesota, uh, shows off a little bit of pass rush ability, but this is a guy who's really not going to be uh, I think he's more of a situational guy. I don't see him being a starter. Uh, Kwan Short on the other side, Woodrow Hamilton there at the nose. You know, so there there's room for improvement there up front for Carolina. And so when I look at Derek Brown, um, you know what's what's not to like about this guy. Um, you know, if you want to talk about his character, you know, this is a guy who led one of the most feared defensive lines in all of college football, but he won a lot impact trophy in 2019, which is given to the defensive player making the biggest impact. When you talk impact, integrity, maturity, performance, academics, community, tenacity. So you know you're getting a high character guy and a guy who can be a leader on your defense. Also first team All-American, finalist for the Nagurski and the Outland trophies as Auburn's dominant force in the middle of that defense. Now, how does he win? He wins with that exceptional first-step quickness off the ball, allows him to shoot some gaps, quick penetration into the backfield. You'll see exceptional hand usage, making quick work of the lineman with a, a quick slap and rip or an arm over off the ball. Um, and then the brute strength. That's really what you'll see out of him quite often. He's able to convert that speed to power to force his way through the gaps, really just muscling his way to get into the backfield. And then his wide base allows him to really drop his anchor, hold the point of attack, even against double teams and sometimes even triple teams. He'd see that so often in the middle of that defense. And I'll tell you, I remember in 2018, uh, Deshaun Davis was running around like a madman, making plays all over the place, the middle linebacker. And I was looking at it going, man, this guy is making plays everywhere. It was because of a guy like Derek Brown in the middle was taking up so much space. The guys behind him, behind Derek Brown there in Carolina, will love uh, playing behind a guy like him because he's going to take up a lot of blockers take up a lot of space and allow them to roam free on the back end of that defense. So, you know, I, I think you, you, you see the power in his hands, very evident, allows him to really strike with, with, you know, just violent hands and the explosion in those, in those hands, when he really gets that pop, gets those offensive linemen off balance. Once you, he's got you moving backwards, 
then it's all over. He's going to generate that movement, that leg drive, and is going to shoot into the backfield. And then rushing the quarterback, you're going to see the short area quickness, the lateral agility to you know plant, change directions, and get after the quarterback. Um, really rare type of lateral agility for a guy his size, 6'5", 325, but he moves so much better than that. And then just how relentless he is. You know, pursuing the ball carrier, knowing to track the ball from one hash to the opposite sideline. He's going to pursue the ball 10 yards down the field as well. And look, this guy's extremely active. 170 tackles in his career. Finished with 33 tackles for loss, 12 and a half sacks. Also has a nose for the ball, knocking down eight passes, forcing five fumbles in his career. The biggest issue with Derrick Brown is going to be that inconsistent pad level. That's going to allow blockers to really kind of slow up his rush because, look, he's not able to fire off the ball and really generate a lot of that that power and that that explosiveness coming off the ball. Um, also gets extend overextended at times, affecting his balance. But you know, I think that's those are things that can be easily corrected if he can stay low on a consistent basis and not give them a bigger target to work with. Man, you know, he's going to be one of those dominant forces on the inside. And I think Matt Rule, you know, would really have a guy that he can build his defense around, um, you know, really behind him, I should say. Um, so if Carolina is looking at, at Derek Brown and really addressing up front, then you have to look at the back end of the defense as well. And, uh, you know, really the big reason Dante Jackson is back on one side. When you lose James Bradbury, He's off to, to the Giants. Ross Cockrell is also a free agent. So you're losing some of your, your corners there. And uh, I think they have to look at a cornerback at some point. You know, Jeffrey Okuda, could he come off the board here? If he doesn't go to, to Detroit, then I think there's a chance that he could be on the board. And yes, Carolina could be on the market for a cornerback. I, I think I still think defensive tackle and linebacker make the more, you know, make the most sense. So if you're looking at a second round selection, a guy that just I don't know, for some reason, he just seems to fit uh, what Matt Rule is going to want to do and just fits Carolina in general. How about Damon Arnett out of uh, Ohio State? Now, Damon Arnett was a guy that a lot of people were talking about possibly coming out and entering the draft uh, because a big reason why was because you had, uh, you know, Kendall Sheffield, who ultimately decided he was going to come out and enter the draft. And I thought that it really, really helped uh, Damon Arnett's draft stock. If you ever watched the, the the game against Michigan State, Damon Arnett locked up Cody White, and, and that poor guy, poor receiver, poor Cody, was not able to get any uh, separation at all. This was a guy just blanket coverage, very physical, uh, very aggressive. He's six foot, 195 pounds, and uh, you know he can get himself into trouble sometimes because of that aggressiveness. Um, needs to. I thought he did a better job, you know, trusting his eyes and not getting as handsy. Um, but look, 22 pass uh, breakups in his career, five interceptions. So when you're talking about 27 pass, passes defended, um, you know this is a guy who knows how to make plays on the football. And uh, I think he's a guy that I think could come in and start right away opposite uh, Dante Jackson. So that feels like the perfect fit right there at number 38 overall. Damon Arnett going to Carolina in round number two. Moving on to round number three. Now, there are a few different directions that you could go with Carolina here. And I was actually looking up front because if you have Teddy Bridgewater, you know, Teddy obviously has those injuries that, that uh, the major injury that he was coming off of. Um, now he's obviously he's 100%, but 
you know, it, it was a gruesome injury. It took him a little while to get back. And uh, so you're looking at the interior of that line. Matt Paradis is really, he's got the center locked down. Right now, looking at the at the guard position, is it going to be John Miller and, and Dennis Daly potentially? I, I think, you know, Miller's probably got the left guard position locked down. But the, the absence of, of Trey Turner, you know, who was traded to the Chargers for Russell Okung, yes, you get the upgrade at left tackle, but now you've created a hole there at right guard. So I'm looking at Damian Lewis out of LSU. And Damian Lewis, what I really like about this guy, um, you know, he, he's 6'2", 327 pounds, uh, and he's a guy who's going to maul you. He's a mauler. He's big. He's physical. He, he's a guy who moves, has some short area quickness as well so he can climb out to the second level. And, and the thing with him is he's not just going to block you. He's not just going to get in the way. He's going to look to bury you. And, you know, those are the guys that I enjoy watching because he's going to generate a ton of movement. He's going to sustain his block, and then he's going to look to plant you and drive you into the ground. Um, And so Damian Lewis, you know, he just makes a ton of sense uh, in Carolina. I think that big physical mentality is going to be nice. Uh, Carolina sitting there at number 69 overall, I think that'd be a nice selection there. So moving on to, I guess we can consider it day three. Um, at least in the traditional sense, day three, uh, Carolina sitting there in round number four, they got a pick. Uh, and this was kind of, you know, there are a few other players out there that maybe could have come off the board instead. Um, you know, potentially Willie Gay of, of Mississippi State or, um, you know, Troy Dye. Uh, I still have him on the board. And, uh, you know, so there, there's some other backers that could have come off the board here, but I'm looking at a guy like Sean Bradley out of Temple, 6'1", 235, inside linebacker. And, and look, he has the Temple ties. And this is a guy that, you know, I, I think he, he's, he's very athletic. You know, he, he can make plays all over the field. He's a guy that can drop into coverage. Um, he, he can rush the passer a little bit. Um, and, and I think that versatility, I, I think what Matt Rule is going to be wanting to look for are guys that are versatile, that can do a little bit of everything. So, you know, 255 tackles, most of which were really in, in three seasons there at Temple. Uh, 22 tackles for loss, had three interceptions, five pass breakups, three forced fumbles in his career. And then he, he shows up at the combine and, and has a, you know, a pretty nice little uh, performance there as well. Ran a 4 5 140. And uh, at 6'1", 235, one of the faster linebackers in uh, in the draft class there at the Combine um, only had, let's see, only four guys ran a faster 40 time than he did. So I'm looking at Sean Bradley. Makes a ton of sense to me. It, it, the familiarity is absolutely going to be there with Matt Rule. But I, I think this is a guy who can come in. They're at the inside linebacker position. You've got Shaq Thompson. Tahir Whitehead is in there. He was brought in from the Raiders, but there's really not, you know, there's really no depth behind them. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at at Carolina right now and uh, going to spottrack.com to really take a look at, uh, you know, if you haven't been there, it's an awesome website. It'll tell you exactly what you have with, uh, you know, all the different. salary cap and, and really what, what you're dealing with there. Um, just take, you know, takes a really good look 
and breaks everything down. Whitehead was just brought in on a one-year deal, so they have that veteran guy. He really was an outside linebacker with the Raiders, but he may move inside. Um, really, Shaq Thompson is probably going to end up moving inside as well, but he's a guy that's traditionally played on the on the outside. So you get somebody who's a traditional inside linebacker like uh, Sean Bradley, has some versatility, can also play outside, and uh, you know can cover tight ends. I think that's one of the things too that you really want to see um, with the linebackers in this ever-changing NFL uh, game. He fits that new linebacker mold. So I mentioned that we're going to go ahead and take a look at at the rest of the draft. I, I just realized that I hadn't hadn't mentioned that just yet. But um, I, I've been working with my my mock drafts and really been focused on the fifth, sixth, and seventh rounds over the last few days. And I've put all of that together. And I know in the previous podcast we just focused on the first four rounds, but I really want to go ahead and tackle the rest of the draft if I can. I'm going to go ahead and put the rest of my mock draft onto the website here in the next day or so and uh, really make sure that all seven rounds are on the website. But uh, if we take a look at Carolina, going into round number five, I think they need to find an outside linebacker as well. We talked inside backer. Now we're looking outside linebacker. And, and I mentioned you know, Brian Burns um, on the outside. You know He's going to be a guy that's going to rush the passer there as a 3-4 outside linebacker. I think that makes a lot of sense. Marquise Haynes, you know, he was an Ole Miss uh, guy that was just wreaking havoc coming off the edge there uh, for, the, for the Rebels. And... I'm looking at that. I think they need some more explosiveness. And I'm looking at a guy like uh, like DJ Wonham out of uh, South Carolina. And with, with Wonham, you know, one of the things that I was looking for was, you know, a guy, I mean, he has some size to him. He can play, you know, play defensive end a little bit, played some linebacker, some of that versatility. I like some of that. You know, but this is a guy who is versatile. He can play both the run and the pass. 29 and a half tackles for loss, 14 sacks in his career, the 13 tackles for loss and six sacks as a sophomore defensive end. Then he moves up to, to linebacker and really was playing more of a, a you know that outside linebacker position. Nine and a half tackles for loss, four and a half sacks. Um, you know, really a, a guy that I really like that versatility. And then you know at the combine showed off some athleticism as well. Um, that was one of the things that I thought was a little surprising because I, w- I wasn't expecting a guy like him. Um, you know, he ran a four seven three forty. Um, 34 and a half inch vertical leap as well. Um, ran a seven, two, five, three cone drill. So among the, the ends, that was one of the faster times. In fact, I just scrolled through there and glanced at some of the times that was actually the third fastest time among the entire defensive line class at the combine. So I look at DJ and he'd be a guy, his power to go along with Brian Burns, speed. I think that'd be a nice match there for, for Carolina. And uh, I think getting him in round five, I think that's good value as well. Um, so moving on to round number six for the Carolina Panthers. And uh, I mentioned the cornerback position. And I, I think this could be an area where Carolina is going to double up. And so they have Dante Jackson. They have Corn Elder right now at corner. They've got Cole Luke, Dominique Catfield. So really no one that's that's really striking fear into opposing defenses. But the other thing that I'm looking at there is there aren't a lot of, there isn't a lot of size. And so sitting in the sixth round, uh, how about a guy like Lamar Jackson? You know, you're talking about a corner that, that has some pretty good size to him. That's going to be Lamar Jackson. He, he's 6'2", 208. You know, he did run a 4'5", 40 at the combine, 36 and a half inch vertical leap. 
um, over 32 inch arms uh, as well. So he has the length and uh, you know, I think he offers some pretty decent ball skills as well on the outside. Um, you know, I, I, I think Carolina right now, um, you know, looking at that, that secondary, they, they've got to make sure, especially in the division when you're dealing with, you know, Tom Brady twice, Drew Brees twice, Matt Ryan twice. I mean, you're dealing with two Hall of Famers and a pretty darn good quarterback. Um, you know, that that's really going to be a, a tall task. So I, I look at Lamar, you know, he's had, you know, really the, the most production in terms of the the – you know, the ball skills, uh, you know, in the last two seasons have five interceptions, uh, 19 pass breakups in, uh, in those two seasons, uh, has 22 overall for his career, three forced fumbles to his credit as well. Um, this is a guy who, you know, again, the length, you know, he's not the fastest guy. I think that's one of the things that you worry about is some of the long speed and you worry about some of the stiffness in his hips. When you get some of those, those bigger cornerbacks being able to really sink their hips and really able to, um, to transition with that wide receiver. And, uh, you know, if you're slow to slow in your, in your transitions, then that could really, um, allow the receiver to create some separation. Uh, that's why I think Lamar Jackson sinks a little bit in, in this draft. And if he does sit there at in the sixth round, a lot of people think he'll be off the board by, by uh, early day three, sitting there in the fourth round. But I, I just think that there's a good chance that he may fall because of some of that stiffness. Sixth round would be an excellent value uh, nabbing him there. And then finally, you know, let's look at, at some of the the pass rush. And we mentioned, you know, I mentioned that uh, you know Brian Burns is sitting there, and uh, you know, and Marquise Haynes, but th- there really isn't a whole lot of help behind them. And, and so I want to find some of that additional help. And uh, how about a guy seventh round out of uh, James Madison, uh, Rondell Carter. Um, if you haven't seen this guy, you know, big personality, a guy who I think, you know, is going to fit in very well. 6'3", 269, um, you know, defensive end, played defensive end there um, for for uh, for the Dukes. But a guy who I think can really um, be an outside linebacker and, and really rush the quarterback coming off the edge. This is a guy who transferred from Rutgers, came to James Madison, and all he did in his time there uh, 48 tackles for loss and 23 and a half sacks, including 12 this past season, had 27 tackles for loss in 2019, 66 tackles as well. So very active coming off the edge, has a pretty nice burst. Um, and he's one of those guys that could very well come off the board before uh, round number seven. But if he's sitting there uh, when Carolina is, is, is drafting, and uh, let's see, Carolina will have the... I can find it right. Let's see. That's number 222. So I'm looking at that pick. I think at, at 200, 222, that's going to make a lot of sense for me. You know, if, if Rondell Carter is sitting there, get another pad, pass rusher, get an edge rusher coming off the edge, and uh, a guy who can be incredibly productive for you, he could end up being a steal. And, and again, that productivity, even though it was at the FCS level, James Madison is one of the top programs there. Um, I could very well see this guy getting drafted in round number five. So he, if he is on the board at round number seven, that'd be a steal for Carolina in my opinion. 
So that's the Carolina Panthers. I, I think, you know, with this draft, if, if it's the way that it shakes out, you know, I'm looking at it and I don't see a ton of uh, emphasis on, if I were to do my own critique of, of myself, uh, not a ton of uh, focus on the offensive side of the football. And, and I think, you know, you lost a lot defensively, obviously. Uh, bringing in Robbie Anderson really helped there at the receiver position. DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, you brought in Russell Okung at, at, at a left tackle position that was in need of some help. Um, I, I think you could go tight end at some point. I think you could also go running back as well. Um, you know, Chris Christian McCaffrey is going to need somebody that's going to take some of that pressure off of them. Right now they have Mike Davis and Jordan Scarlett. You can easily bring in another running back to add to that mix. So is, is that draft for Carolina perfect? No. Um, and I think, you know, doubling up on some of those positions, I, I really think that depth defense, defensively, especially in that division with all that firepower, I think that's really the focus that they need to go with. And, um, you know, I think they have some of the tools there for uh, Joe Brady style offense. I mean, imagine Christian McCaffrey catching the football out of the backfield in that type of offense. It's going to be fun to watch if, if nothing else. Um, so we're going to go ahead and move on from Carolina to Tampa Bay. And Tom Brady, TB12, going to be taking uh, his, his talents to, to Tampa. And he's got some, some tools to work with there. Um, there's no doubt about that. He's got 2,000-yard receivers and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Uh, he's got a couple of nice tight ends and O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait. At the running back position, you got Ronald Jones the, the second. And uh, you've got an offensive line that, frankly – um, needs uh, an overhaul. It's in desperate need of, of an upgrade. And that's where I, I think they're going to spend the majority of their focus is on that offensive line. I, I think that's something that Tom Brady's going to look at and say, let's go get one of those tackles with that first pick at number 14 overall. Um, and I'm looking at, at this and it makes sense. Um, you know, Jameis Winston, a season ago, only quarterback to eclipse the 5,000-yard mark, finished second in passing touchdowns with 33, but also 30 interceptions. And those interceptions weren't all just his fault. You know, Yes, there were some terrible throws down the field, but uh, you know, when you've got uh, – you know, it, it's one of those things that's kind of staggering. You know, Tampa Bay gave up 47 sacks a year ago. Um, so you're, you're looking at Tom Brady – you know, this is a guy who, in 2019, his QBR was 54, which is the lowest full-season rating of his career. So he needs to stay upright in order to, to have some success, and you got to take care of him. So you, you look at the left tackle position, Donovan Smith is back, was a disappointment, and, and there's really nobody on the roster to push him. Also need an upgrade at right tackle. DeMar Dotson is gone. Um, you know, they brought in Joe Haig. Um, and they're saying that he may be the right tackle. I think Joe Hay could get kicked inside, and uh, there's a reason for that. And I'm looking at these four tackles. I think you have four tackles um, that are elite in terms of draft prospects, and then there's a significant drop-off after that. And the tackles that I'm talking about are Jedrick Wills out of Alabama, Makai Becton out of Louisville, uh, Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, and Andrew Thomas out of uh, Georgia. And there's a good chance that Andrew Thomas, I have him rated as my number four 
offensive tackle. He may be the only offensive tackle left. But with the way that my mock draft is shaking out, I'm looking at Tristan Wirfs, uh, the big 6'5", 320-pounder out of Iowa, the junior. And I think what makes sense here is you have Joe Haig, who can play both tackle and guard. And the same goes for Tristan Wirfs. He can kick inside to guard if you need to. Um, you know, he played right tackle and also filled in for Alaric Jackson at left tackle when uh, Jackson went down to injury there in, in 2019 and more than held his own. You know, he, he struggled at times with some sp- uh, some speed rushers, but uh, all in all, he, he was definitely someone who, who could hang in there. And when you look at Wirfs, you know, he absolutely set the world on fire. I shouldn't say the world, but set the, the stage on fire there at the combine. Um, this was a guy um, ran a, a 4 8 5 40, uh, 36 and a half inch vertical leap, which was a, a record for offensive linemen there at the combine. Um, you know, just absolutely uh, insane numbers. Uh, thir- let's see, his 10 foot one inch broad jump was also a, a combine record for offensive linemen as well. And then, you know, not to be outdone there with the records, he also broke Brandon Sheriff's team record 450 pound hang clean. Um, if you haven't seen that on YouTube, you got to check it out. He did it easily for, for three reps. Now, Brandon Sheriff, very athletic uh, tackle, and he got kicked inside to guard pro bowler a season ago. Um, so there's a good chance that if they want to keep Haig at right tackle, Tristan Wirfs could kick inside to guard, and the athleticism and the power, we could be talking about you know the, the second coming of, of Brandon Sheriff on the inside. Um, now, Wirf, you know, I, I think the the, mo- the real incredible thing about him, and look, there's a chance that Tristan Wirfs could best Brandon Sheriff's draft position, Brandon Sheriff taking number five overall. I think there's a chance that Tristan Wirfs can end up going number four overall to the Giants, you know, especially with the Giants trying to figure out, you know, the whole Mike Remmers situation. Um, Mike Remmers obviously going to Kansas City. They need to figure out what they're going to do at right tackle. So there's a chance Tristan Wirfs could go there. There's a chance Jedrick Wills goes there. Um, I still think it's going to be Isaiah Simmons because you draft best player available, you know, at, at this point, and you can still get a good tackle in round number two. Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia, the big mammoth right tackle. I think the, the Giants can get their hands on him in round number two. But uh, and anyway, let's get back to talking about uh, Tristan Wirfs. Um, you know, I, I think the athleticism is one of those things that says, hey, this guy can absolutely play play tackle. And uh, when you talk about it, only uh, you know 16 of the 46 wide receivers at the combine jump higher than Wirfs in the vertical, that 36 and a half inch vertical leap. I mean, it's just staggering there. Um, you know, he, he fires out of a stance quickly, uh, plays with excellent leverage, uh, shows uh, easy flexibility, sitting down and bending at the knees. Um, good depth, really good angles on his kick slide, really allowing to beat his man to the edge. Um, lateral quickness to mirror the, the blitzing linebacker looping around. Um, you know, it changes directions in those mirrors, really picks up the, the secondary moves very well. The agility to block down on the defensive end and then picking up that blitzing linebacker looping around as well. Um, athleticism on display in the running game, leading the way. Um, if you tuned in and watched the, uh, the, uh, Holiday Bowl against USC, uh, you saw him as a lead blocker on several occasions, um, was repeatedly out in front of the ball carrier, delivering some lead blocks, some punishing lead blocks, by the way, uh, just burying defensive backs on the edge to spring a big gain. Um, 
you know, for light as he is on his feet, does play with tremendous power, generates a ton of movement at the point of attack. You'll see him extend his arms, deliver a good punch to the chest plate of the defensive lineman, then keep his legs moving to clear his man out. Um, especially evident in that Minnesota game, got under uh, Winston Deladavadir's pad level, drove him all the way outside to the numbers. I mean, just you know, once he locked on to him, he wasn't letting go and sustained that block to the whistle. Um, he'll absorb contact at the point, anchoring uh, active hands to keep his man in front. Now, you know, with Werfs, he does struggle at times with speed rushers can get too far over his feet, which will affect his balance, allows the edge rusher to slip the blocks at times, uh, also has an issue with oversetting as a pass blocker and in the running game. Um, you'll see a bit more consistency from him, um, or you'd like to see more more consistency. I'm trying to read my notes here. Uh, not always as dominant as his measurables would lead you to believe. So when you watch him and you watch the numbers, you're expecting to see this guy who's just going to be lightning quick, incredibly powerful, and a guy that nobody can get by. But you know, I think there's some some issues with the technique uh, at times because it seems like guys are slipping his blocks when he should be dominating his man and it just doesn't always happen. So that consistency is the one thing that you worry about a little bit with Tristan Wirfs, but, um, you know, which is why I think he ultimately falls just a little bit, um, not, uh, won't be taken number four overall, but I, I think that's a nice consolation prize going 14 overall, um, and get to block for Tom Brady, um, I think that that just makes a, a ton of sense to me um, sitting there number 14 overall, um, getting an offensive lineman to really shore up that offensive line. Um, so I, moving on to the second round, I, I think when you look at Ronald Jones, the second, yeah, you know, he went over 700 yards, a guy who has the ability, I think, to be a thousand yard rusher in the league and be more of a, a difference maker in the passing game. But even with Ronald Jones on the roster, um, and carrying the load. When you look at the line, the running back uh, group, uh, Dario Ogumbawale, TJ Logan, Aka Cedric Ware, um, doesn't really, those guys don't really strike fear at all. Um, you know, if you're opposing defenses, I'm looking at JK Dobbins out of, out of Ohio state. And this, this just makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, Dobbins, Look, he was number six in the voting in 2019. You know, a, a guy who uh, went over a thousand yards uh, in each of his three seasons there at Ohio State. Uh, the only other guy to do that, Archie Griffin. Um, you know, over 1,400 yards sharing the backfield with Mike Weber as a freshman. Um, this past season went over 2,000 yards, 2,003 yards, 21 touchdowns, 6.7 yards per carry, had 23 receptions uh, this past season as well. Um, if you do all the math, that's 4,459 uh, 4, total yards uh, on the ground, 38 touchdowns, and then 71 uh, receptions scores five touchdowns as well. And, you know, a guy who uh, the lateral quickness is one of those things that really, you know, I think that and the vision, his ability to see the cutback lanes, put his foot in the ground, get north and south. A lot of times he's making cuts down the field and not losing any momentum, not losing any speed. People worry about his home run hitting ability. Is he a guy that's really going to be a burner and being able to uh, run away from people? Um, We didn't get to see him run at the combine. Um, Did put up 23 reps in the bench press, uh, 5'9", 209. I think he has... 
you know, he may not have the breakaway speed, but a guy that has enough, he's quicker than he is fast, but he has enough speed to really be a playmaker there out on the edge. Another guy who has exceptional hands, uh, runs the angle route very well. Um, if he's getting out on, on a, uh, on a wheel route, looks the ball into his hands before he gets up the field. Um, to me, you, you put him in this, in, in this group and, you know, with, with Ronald Jones, I think he ends up becoming the feature back and which is okay. You know, I think these are two guys that can feed off of each other, but I think at the end of the day, JK Dobbins just makes a ton of sense. Um, and you pair him up with Ronald Jones. I think if I'm Tom Brady, I get him in the second round. I'd be very ecstatic to get a, a weapon like that in my offense. So moving on to round number three, I, I said that they needed to address the offensive line uh, early and often. And, and I'm looking at a guy out of another guy out of Ohio State, ironically enough, and that's Jonah Jackson, uh, number 76 overall, 6'3, 306. Now, this is a, a veteran guard. Um, and, and look, he, he's somebody who was always seemed to be, you know, he's not overly athletic, but he just got the job done. You know, and you know there are other offensive linemen there for them, um, who I think were you know like Wyatt Davis. You know, was a guy that really uh, everyone's talking about. They're excited about him as a potential first round pick. But this guy, you know, Jonah Jackson is a guy who I think can come in and challenge for a starting job right away. I think you know that a consistency that he brought uh, to the field and a guy who just always seemed to be in the right place at the right time. You know, when you look at the offense, Ali Marpet sitting there at the left guard position. Um, there's a chance he could even kick into to that center position. Uh, potentially, you know, Ryan Jensen, I think there needs to be an upgrade there. Um, Alex Kappa right now is, is looking at the right guard, depending on what happens with Joe Haig and Tristan, uh, Tristan Wirfs, you know, you could potentially see a move there. Um, so Jonah Jackson is a guy that I think come in, play left guard, allow Ollie Marpet to move over to the center position. Now you've got Smith, Mar- uh, John, uh, Jackson, Marpet. Worfs and Haig, you know, I think you've already addressed and upgraded that offensive line, um, you know, quite a bit with just a couple of moves there in the draft. Day three, Tom Brady's not going to be on that roster forever. We know this. And without Jameis Winston there, um, you know, they brought in Blaine Gabbert. You've got Ryan Griffin, but I think you still need to bring in a young quarterback, a guy that could potentially learn from Brady and potentially be his heir apparent. And when you've got Bruce Arians as your head coach, you know that this is a guy that wants to push the football down the field. And I think that the match, the perfect match in this quarterback class is going to be Jacob Eason out of Washington. 6'6", 231 pounds, uh, cannon for an arm, can make all the NFL throws. My biggest thing is, is can he dial it back? Everything has to be a fastball with him. You don't see much trajectory with his passes, which means it's a laser. And a lot of times he's going to end up overthrowing guys. Um, You know, he needs that touch, put more air under the ball. And I think there's going to be, you know, a little bit of a learning curve there. I think he's going to have to, Arians will be working with him to really develop more of that touch than, than anything else. But uh, it just seems like a perfect fit for me with with going with Jacob Eason there uh, in round number four. There's talk that Jacob Eason can come off the board in round two, round three. Um, someone was even talking about him possibly going in in to Tampa at number fourteen overall. Let's not get carried away. At one seventeen overall, I think that's good value for for Jacob Eason. That really is what makes sense. Let's not let's not get crazy with everything. Let's not 
try to project him into the first round. I think, you know, fourth round actually feels right, you know, with what he did in uh, in 2019. You know, this is a guy who, he started his career at Georgia, had a tremendous freshman year, gets hurt, Jake Fromm comes in, takes over his job, and he ends up transferring to Washington. Sits out a year, and really this was his first year of action. And, you know, it was one of those things to where it was kind of a mixed bag. You know, in Chris Peterson's last year there with the Huskies, um, I, I thought there were flashes of brilliance um, from, from Jacob Eason. And like I said, you know, a lot of passes would sail. He wasn't always on target. Um, there were times where he put the ball behind the receiver. Um, still threw for, for six, you know, 60, completed 64.2% of his passes, over 3,100 yards, 23 touchdowns, just eight interceptions. Um, and the completion percentage is significantly better than when he was at Georgia, where he, you know, threw for just 50, uh, what was it? 55.2% of his passes. You know, that was his completion percentage. So I look at, at Eason and I think he's someone who can come in, learn from Arians and potentially be the quarterback of the future there. Whenever Tom Brady decides, um, you know, it's time to hang it up. So Tampa Bay have they have two picks in round number four, and I think they need to to get another weapon for, for Tom Brady. And uh, let's see. Tampa's pick, it's number 139 overall. I'm looking at John Hightower, the 6'1", 189-pound receiver out of Boise State, playing on the blue turf there, Albertson Stadium in Boise, Idaho. And uh, why... Why Hightower? Well, Hightower um, has you know tremendous speed. He can stretch the defenses vertically. I'm looking at this team. You got Evans, you got Godwin, but after that, there's Justin Watson. You know, I think Scott Miller is a guy who could play in the slot a little bit. But we needed that vertical threat, you know, to take some pressure off of Chris Godwin and, and Mike Evans. And I think that uh, you know John Hightower is able to do that. Ran a 4-4-3-40 at the combine, 38 and a half inch vertical leap. Um, you know, more athleticism than I was really expecting to see out of Hightower. Um, but, you know, this is a guy who, I, you know, you can't really turn on on the film for Boise State in, in 2019 and really expect to see a whole lot. You had, uh, you know, Jalen Henderson and Hank Bachmeyer there at the quarterback position, and there were some growing pains there with them. And, and so... Despite that, you still had Hightower, 51 catches, 90, uh, 943 yards, and eight touchdowns. Uh, that's 18.5 yards per reception, so absolutely a guy who was making plays down the football field. Also had a kick return for a touchdown in 2019, so you know, tremendous athlete, vertical threat. Um, gives that, that presence there for Tom Brady. I think that makes absolute sense to me. Um, there in round number four. Now looking at round number five and Tampa big act, you know, I'm, I wouldn't say it's an acquisition, but a big signing. They brought back in Dominican Sue for another season. They got William Golston on the op- opposite side. Uh, Rakeem Nunez Roches is also brought back as well, but I still think they need another defensive end. Um, you know, and Dominican Sue, it's almost like a year to year deal with, uh, with him. Is he going to be signing and, and staying on the roster? Um, is he a guy who's going to end up transitioning and moving on? Um, you know, and with, with Sue, um, just a one-year deal, one-year $8 million deal. Uh, you know, Nunez Roches signed a, a one-year $1.5 million contract. So both of those guys, their long-term future going to be in question. And, and so I'm looking at, 
you know, who could be a guy that could fit in there in, in this three, four front. And uh, how about a guy out of NC state, Lorel Murchison, a guy that people really aren't talking about. And a guy who I think could be a, a really good pro, um, you know, 162 overall, he's 6'2", 297 pounds. You know, if you watched him at the combine, you're going to look at the, the 40 time and go, eh, you know, ran a 50540, uh, did bench press uh, 225, 29 times. So there is some power behind this guy. Um, but really, one of the things, if you watch the drills, this was a guy who had a you know, really nice hip bend. Um, and you saw some of the ankle flexion in some of the drills as well. And I, I look at him and I, I think he can get after the quarterback at the next level. Um, played just two seasons there for the Wolf Pack, but. Uh, you know, 20 tackles for loss, 11 sacks, including seven this past season. Um, you know, I think he's going to generate uh, some pass rush coming off the edge. And uh, I think it's going to be a nice video. He'll be a rotational player and uh, not expect him to do a ton right now. Really focus on um, some of his pass rush moves, especially of these secondary moves, and uh, work on some of his agility. And, uh, you know, you might be talking about a guy who can work his way into, you know, uh, a spot starter, um, you know, within the first couple of years. I think he's got that type of, you know, he's not going to be the best athlete in the world, but a guy who just gets the job done. And then looking at finding more pass rush ability, um, looking at an outside linebacker, I'm looking at James Smith Williams. And, you know, this is a guy who played defensive end while at uh, NC State. And, and I'm looking at the outside linebacker position for uh, for Tampa, and you figure that J, uh, JPP, um, who was brought back, he'll probably man an outside linebacker position along with Shaquille Barrett, who got the franchise tag. Shaquille Barrett with an incredible uh, breakout season, 19 and a half sacks. But there's really no depth behind these guys. Um, you know, there, there aren't any proven players. You've got Quentin Bell, Anthony Nelson, um, you know, some guys that, you know, could potentially fill in there. But I think you need to continue to address that pass rush. And when you're looking at a guy like like Smith Williams, um, you know, you're getting him in the sixth round. And I really think this is good value. Um, you know, a guy who's six. A 6'4", 265, ran a 4'640", bench press 225, 28 times. We have some power, and, and he's one of those guys who I think has some some scheme flexibility, a guy that doesn't have to necessarily – I'm sorry, scheme versatility, um, a guy who doesn't have to just play um, – as a 43 defensive end, he can be an outside linebacker in a 34 defense. And, um, you know, in his career, 12 tackles for loss, just eight sacks. Um, but a guy who really has battled some injuries, um, you know, and, and that's really the biggest thing only played in six games this past season. Um, you know, I, I think 2018 was the one year that he was able to play um, almost a full season, played in 11 games at, there at NC State, had nine tackles for loss and six sacks. So he has some pass rush ability. Um, you just have to keep him on the field and keep him healthy. I think sixth round, um, you know, I think that makes some sense. You know, a, a guy, you know, like I said, a tremendous athlete. If you can keep him healthy, I think this would be a, a really nice selection there for for Tampa. Be able to address some of that pass rush, get some more uh, some more depth to that position, uh, be able to help out Shaq Barrett, JPP, and company. So those are the draft picks there for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So moving just two picks 
in, in round number one, we're going to go ahead and make the stop in Atlanta with the Atlanta Falcons sitting there at number 16 overall. And uh, the Falcons, you know, this is a team that's really making making a lot of moves. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see just how many guys are not going to be there in Atlanta, um, whether it be through free agency or just, you know, guys that have been released and let go. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about it, you know, guys like Devontae Freeman and um, let's see, who else? Uh, Devondre Campbell is gone. And uh, my computer's locking up on me. We can go ahead and get to the next screen. There we go. Austin Hooper, your tight end. He he's in Cleveland. Corner, you know, Desmond Trufant. He's in Detroit. Wes Schweitzer, your guard, is in Washington. Vic Beasley, edge rusher in Tennessee, you know, is in, in Tennessee now. Adrian Claiborne, another edge rusher. He's in Cleveland. Tyson Brylo, offensive tackle. He's now in Tennessee. So, I mean, you look at this list. Jack Crawford, defensive tackle. He's in Tennessee. You know, and really what you're asking yourself is, is, well, what did Atlanta do? Who did they bring in? You did get Dante Fowler, who really, you know, to this point is kind of underachieved, had his best career, had a double-digit sack season, and he's coming coming back to to play for his college coach and, and Dan Quinn. Um, you know, so that was a nice pickup there for Atlanta. Uh, Todd Gurley is is really taking the place of um, uh, Devontae Freeman, signed a one-year $6 million deal. Is he a long-term answer? Really the big question is going to be what's going to happen with that knee. Um, you know, that's going to be the, the biggest concern. Uh, also brought in uh, Levon Tread, uh, I'm sorry, Laquan Treadwell, uh, to man that receiver position, a guy who was hoping to resurrect his career, uh, really never got going there in Minnesota. So Atlanta, you can see, you know, lots of of holes. Where do they really go? And uh, I think what you have to to really look at there is uh, they lost Claiborne and they lost Beasley. So when you're talking about that. You know, that's 12 of the team's 28 sacks. Now, 28 sacks, you know, that basically, that, that was number, what, I think, believe it was tied him for 29th or 30th overall in the league. Um, you know, when you lose your two two sack artists, your two top sack artists, you know, you're almost half of your production. Um, you know, Beasley really, you know, was kind of a bust after his sophomore campaign, you know, had 15 and a half sacks in 2016. Um you know, never really could repeat that and opted for the change of scenery. Um, Dan Quinn, Thomas Dimitrov still have to get production out of Tack McKinley. He he was a former first-round pick as well. Finished 2019 with just three and a half sacks. Has a total just 16 and a half in his first three seasons in Atlanta. His future beyond 2020 is in serious doubt. Um, you know, So yes, they have Dante Fowler, but they need to get somebody on the opposite end of him. And really look, you know, Fowler is coming off the 11 and a half sacks with the Rams. Um, clearly his best as he just managed 16 sacks in his first four seasons combined. Um, so adding an edge rusher who can consistently get home opposite Fowler. Um, Kalevin chase on look, if he's there, you know, and I, I think Atlanta you know, may even trade up to get him. 
Um, you know, Chase on played in just 12 games as a true freshman, started three, but you could see some of that that natural pass rush ability. Ended up with four and a half tackles for loss and two sacks. Expected to be the next great edge rusher at LSU, but those expectations really had to be on hold in 2018 when he tore his ACL in the season opener. Um, but he bounced back in a major way. First team All SEC honors in 2019. 13 and a half tackles for loss. Registered six and a half sacks while also recording 60 tackles and 13 starts. Um, very long edge rusher. Very fluid turning the corner. Uh, shows excellent flexibility to dip uh, his inside shoulder under the offensive tackles uh, pad level. Wins with his hands as well. Slapping the offensive tackles hands away, ripping through before flattening out to the quarterback. Uh, spin moves are very compact and quick. Uh, changes his directions in a hurry without any wasted movement. I watch him play. You know, and he's 6'5, 250 pounds. And he reminds me a lot of Brian Burns. You know, we talk about it, you know, that ankle flexion, his ability to put his, you know, his body as a result in some of these awkward angles to be able to bring down quarterbacks and, and really uh, pursue the quarterback, get there in a hurry. Um, you know, the, the quickness um, in flipping those hips. And turning from coming off the edge to flattening out and getting to the quarterback, uh, so smooth, so quick. Uh, and what I really like too about Chason is that speed to power, his ability to long arm a guy. And when you look at at Chason, he he's he looks slender. He looks very you know very slender um, in his build, and yet he generates a ton of power. And that's one of the things that I think is is really surprising. You see him; he'll he'll extend that arm into the into the pad level or into the pads of uh, of the offensive tackle and drive him back and into the quarterback. And and that's one of the things that I think is really deceiving with him um, is that power when when he gets his hands on the offensive tackle first. Uh, that speed to power is is really impressive. Um, you know in. in uh, the SEC championship when LSU faced off with Georgia, he got to match up with Andrew Thomas and more than held his own. Uh, he won with his explosiveness. There was on one play where he, he started up field, got Thomas leaning, spun back inside with his low center of gravity to, to take down Jake Fromm. On another play, he used to speed coming off the edge to beat Thomas, who didn't even get his hands on Chase on when he got to the quarterback. Uh, but when he let Andrew Thomas engage him and get his hands on him, he'd get e- easily driven back away from the pocket. That's one of the things that he has to really work on is make sure that um, he wins with his hands, wins with that explosiveness, because if you know, he just he doesn't have the ability to to shed those blocks if if uh, an offensive tackle really gets his hands on him and and locks him up. That said, you know I think Chason does have a, a nonstop motor, relentless in his pursuit of the football in the, the college football uh, title game against uh, Clemson. He fell down on one play, got up, beat the left tackle, Jackson Carmen, inside to hit Trevor Lawrence, forced a, a throw well before Lawrence wanted to deliver it. Um, speed to the perimeter to chase down running backs in the running game as well. High character player, good student, uh, made the SEC honor roll, 3.10 GPA in a, as a business major. Um, when I look at Chase on, though, it's hard not to see Barkevius Mingo, who was the sixth overall pick of the Browns in 2012, um, similar measurables. Uh, Mingo, in his three-year career with LSU, 29 tackles for loss, 15 sacks, including 15 tackles for loss and eight sacks in his sophomore season. Um, he was productive in his rookie year, nine nine tackles for loss, five sacks, but he's just managed five sacks in the in his next six seasons um, and has played for a total of five teams during that span as well. 
Um, seven-year pro and really hasn't had the career that you would expect from the sixth overall pick. And I'm not saying that Chason's going to have a similar career, but the comparisons are there. So you just hope that history doesn't repeat itself. And I, I think the explosiveness and what we've seen out of Chason, I think he's got a little bit more power than Mingo does. And, uh, you know, frankly, Atlanta's going to need him to really push uh, Tack McKinley. And if he has a big season, I, I think that Atlanta can really transition and move on. Um, if Ultimately, if uh, if Chason does come off the board before Atlanta's there, you know, and I, I've considered that, you know, then the next question is, okay, well, where's Javon Kinlaw? I have him going to the Jags. If somehow uh, Isaiah Simmons goes to Carolina and Derek Brooks, or I'm sorry, Derek Brown goes to uh, the Jags at number nine, then there's a chance that Javon Kinlaw could be in play for Atlanta at number 16. Um, if those two guys are both off the board, then you're really going to have to figure out what Atlanta is going to want to do. They may end up deciding to trade down. They may trade down and look for uh, a pass rusher there. Um, potentially, you know, Utero Gross Matos. You know, I, I don't know that they'd reach for uh, A.G. Epinesa here. You know, I just, you know, he just doesn't fit the profile for a Dan Quinn, uh, Thomas Dimitrov type of player. They're all about speed. They want to get guys who can come in there and play with, with a tremendous amount of speed, uh, whether it is Vic Beasley or Devondre Campbell or uh, Deion Jones, uh, Tack McKinley, you name it. Those are the guys that really fit that profile. Clavin Chason is that guy as well. So I think if there's a chance to move up to get their guy to get Chason, you might see Atlanta move up to make that happen. So Atlanta, in round number two, I'm looking at at Atlanta and Alex Mack is their center. And Alex Mack, look, you know, he's a Pro Bowl center and a guy who really is a you know consummate pro. Uh, Eleven years in the league, thirty-four years of age though, and he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. And I think you know when you start getting these offensive linemen who are starting to get a little long in the tooth, you start worrying about you know um, whether or not they're going to be able to stick around. You know we've seen some guys at the center position um, for various reasons um, retire unexpectedly, and I'm looking at at Alex Mack. How many more years does he really have in him? You know, and that's a really a big concern. You know, he signed a five-year, $45 million contract. He's in his last season. Really want to see what he can do. But I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, you know, we may be looking at his last season in Atlanta because of that. And if that's the case, if ultimately they decide they do want to move on, then I'm looking at a guy like Matt Hennessy, um, you know, a guy who, from a pass protection standpoint, I believe he was graded out at 90, 98% in 2018 by Pro Football Focus. Um, Hennessy, 6'4", 307 um, out of Temple, ran a 5'1", at the Combine. You know, a guy who I think could also kick inside to guard. So even with Alex Mack uh, there at the center position, if he ends up signing and they, they keep him there for a couple of years. Um, I'm looking at, you know, you've got James Carpenter at left guard. Uh, Chris Lindstrom, the first-round pick from a season ago, is at right guard. Uh, Jake Matthews and, and Caleb McGarry at the tackle positions. I think you're really setting yourself up to have some, you know, a nice uh, core group of young offensive linemen. And really, Alex Mack right now is the veteran leader of that group. Although, um, you know, Jake Matthews is really um, 
really going to end up being that guy that's going to lead that group of youngsters up front. Um, but I think Matt Hennessy just has that feel of a guy that can come in and, and really from a pass protection standpoint, he's going to protect Matt Ryan back there. Um, and the athleticism, his ability to climb to the second level, I think you're going to see that as well. Um, that just makes a ton of sense for me. Um, like I said, whenever Alex Mack hangs it up, um, you know, they'll have his, uh, his replacement there on the roster. Now looking at, at, at the third round pick, um, you know, I mentioned that Devondre Campbell no longer on the roster. Um, you've got, you know, Dante Fowler, uh, who could potentially be outside linebacker, kind of that similar position that, uh, Vic Beasley played. Um, so you've got Dion, Dion Jones, middle linebacker. Um, I'm looking at, at, uh, a linebacker by the name of Akeem Davis Gaither out of Appalachian state. Now Akeem Davis Gaither, um, you know, a guy who was really fun to watch. You know, he's 6'1", 224 pounds, um, and just played all over the field for for the Mountaineers. Um, I, I think Davis Gaither, um, you know, he, he not only, you know, can, can play the run, he can get after the quarterback a little bit, um, and he can drop into coverage. So he's one of those new-age linebackers. I think he's got pretty good length at the linebacker position as well. Um, look, um, in his last two seasons there with, uh, with Appalachian State, over 200 tackles, 24 tackles for loss, six and a half sacks, and 15 pass breakups. Did have one interception there in 2019 as well. But, uh, you know, a guy who just can play sideline to sideline. And like I said, he can make plays behind the line of scrimmage. He can play in the box if you want him to. He can drop into coverage. You know, and I'm looking at, you know, they need to find a way to replace Devondre Campbell there at the linebacker position. And I think Akeem Davis Gaither can absolutely do that. So Atlanta, moving on to um, day number three. And, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at my my mock draft and I'm looking at Atlanta. They've got Todd Gurley. You know, could they go running back? I think there's still a chance that they could go running back. But, you know, one of the things, they've got Brian Hill, they've got Kadri Allison, they've got Ito Smith. And, and frankly, you know, these were guys that were able to step in and be productive for Atlanta for a time they're on the ground. They don't strike fear into opposing defenses like Devontae Freeman did or, frankly, for that matter, Tevin Coleman. You've got Todd Gurley. Hopefully that knee, um, you know, he can he can play well and be the bell cow. But depending on what happens with, with Gurley, um, you know, he may not be on the roster in, in 2021. You know, and I think, you know, next year's draft, that might be where you really look to key in on, on a running back. Um, you know, and depending on where Atlanta falls, Travis Etienne is the first name that comes to mind. That might be a guy to to target, potentially even trade up into the draft to to secure um, his draft rights. Um, but I'm looking at the cornerback position. You know, obviously, as I mentioned, you lose uh, Desmond Trufant, who's really one of your your core guys there on, in the secondary. You have Isaiah Oliver, who's really going to be your your bell cow, if you will, um, your leader. Uh, at the cornerback position, you got Jordan Miller, uh, Bleedy Ray uh, Wilson um, was brought in. You have Kendall Sheffield there as well. I'm going to look at at a guy that can play in the slot. I think if you have Miller, you have um, Oliver. And then how about a guy like uh, Amik Robertson out of uh, Louisiana Tech? Now, Amik Robertson, you know, didn't get to really perform at the combine at all. Um, just 5'8", 187 pounds. 
But, you know, if you haven't seen him play, he's one of the better group of five players in this draft. And, you know, I initially had him coming off the board uh, in round number three, and I moved him down just a little bit just because that lack of size um, can be concerning for teams, I think. But uh, when you look at the production, 23 tackles for loss at the cornerback position, you know, I mean, he, you know, which is absolutely ridiculous. You know, seven and a half, I'm sorry, seven and a half tackles for loss at least um, in each of those three seasons there for for the Bulldogs. He did come out a year early, so he's a junior uh, underclassman coming out. 14 interceptions. So he had five interceptions in 2017 and 2019. Uh, and then 34 pass breakups, double-digit, back-to-back, double-digit pass breakups in 2018 and 2019, finishing with 16 as a junior. Uh, this is a guy who's also returned three interceptions for touchdown. Um, ball hawk. That's, that's all you, you really need to say, ball hawk. And you know, I, I think because of his lack of size, he'll probably play in the slot. Um, but he, he's somebody that you want to have on your roster. And I think... He'd be a nice compliment there. And uh, if Atlanta uh, is able to land a guy like Amik Robertson there in round number four, um, I think they have to jump at that opportunity. I think it makes way too much sense, um, you know, especially when, when you lose uh, a guy of, of Jasmine Trufant's caliber. Um, you, know, you shuffle some guys around, and uh, now you need a, a slot receiver because Jordan Miller was really going to be your slot guy. Amik Miller, 119 overall, makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, round uh, day three, I should say, really going to be a little bit quiet for Atlanta uh, unless Dimitrov and, and Quinn try to trade back into uh, the draft. 158 overall in the fifth round, went to the Ravens. And then uh, in the sixth round, they traded one number uh, 191 overall to the Eagles. Uh, but they do have a pick in round number seven, and I'm looking at that tight end position. You know, again, there there are a lot of holes that need to be filled here for Atlanta, and when you lose a guy like Austin Hooper, you need to have find a replacement. They bring in Hayden Hurst. I think that's an absolutely you know that's a great pickup. A guy who is an all around tight end, a guy who didn't really get to showcase what he could do there in ten, uh, in Baltimore. Excuse me, with the emergence of Mark Andrews. But you want to find another tight end there that you can really have on the roster, and that's one of the things that I think they're lacking. And I'm looking at Steven Sullivan out of LSU. Um, you know, kind of a bigger receiver-type player there for, for LSU. Um, you know, Not much of a blocker. 6'5", 248 pounds. Ran a 4'6", 640 at the Combine. Uh, tremendous athlete. And I think that's one of the things that you're you're really doing, adding him to to that roster for Matt, Matt Ryan, is getting a... You know, another athlete. You know, you've got Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. Um, they're at the at the receiver position, and uh, you know Todd Gurley at running back, Hayden Hurst at tight end. You know, get him another weapon really out there on the outside. And uh, I, I think you know Stephen uh, Stephen Sullivan can line up on the outside, uh, be really a red zone guy that you can focus on. He can stretch defenses up the seam coming out of the slot. Um, you know, and he can develop as a as an inline blocker and really. Um, you know that's really the thing that I think he's going to have to focus on the most. But he's absolutely a guy who can affect, you know, be a, a difference maker in the passing game as a rookie. So we've got three teams down, we've got one more to go, and that's going to be New Orleans. And New Orleans yet again, um, you know, kind of the victim of the of the situation there uh, in the playoff 
against Minnesota in overtime. You know, was it an offensive pass interference? Did Kyle Rudolph push off? I mean, it looked like he um, he did uh, generate that contact and did push off, um, but it wasn't called in the corner of the end zone, and uh, Minnesota ended up upsetting the Saints. Um, but the good news is Drew Brees is back. Uh, Taysom Hill was also brought back as well. They had a, a first-round tender on him. Um and as I mentioned earlier, you know, when we opened the podcast, the Saints, what are they going to do? Are they going to go with another receiver? I think there's absolutely a chance that they could go with a receiver there. Um, you know, that whether it's uh, Justin Jefferson or a, a T. Higgins, if they happen to be on the board and in my mock draft right now, they're not. Um, but you could still go with Brandon Ayuk, uh, Denzel Mims. Uh, there are going to be receivers available there at um, number 24 overall. But I think with, with Emmanuel Sanders being added to the roster, you know, and you have Traquan Smith, I'm looking at that linebacker position and I'm a little concerned, you know, because they did lose AJ Klein. You know, Kiko Alonso did restructure his contract um, and is going to be man in the middle there. I think really the only guy that I'm not too worried about uh, in that linebacking core is Demario Davis, you know, the, the very productive uh, weak side linebacker, but. Um, I, I think they need to to get an infusion of, of some athleticism there to that linebacker position. Matt, look, Matt Taiteo has gone as well. Um, so I, I think the Saints at number 24, it, it's interesting. I think, like I said, they could still go receiver, but I think what the Saints can do is they can take advantage of the the depth of this wide receiver class um, and, and find a you know potentially a number two or number three option there at the wide receiver position. Um, I think Patrick Queen out of LSU as a guy that would be interesting here. Six foot, 229 pounds. And I don't know about you, but anytime I turned on LSU's game film, I saw number eight making flash, you know, just flashing all over the field, making plays. Um, he, he was a, only a one year starter, but I think his athleticism, his physicality, playmaking ability, reminiscent of the, the previous LSU linebackers, Devin White, uh, Quan Alexander, Deion Jones, all of whom have had success at the next level. So I think he's the next guy to really fit that mold. Um, you know, starting the season, looking out of place at times, taking some poor angles to the football, but by the end of the season, super confident, always seemed to be in the right position to make a play. And look, his postseason performance in the SEC Championship and the college football playoff were tremendous. Racked up 22 of his 84 tackles, five tackles for loss, one and a half sacks against Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson. And his last collegiate performance, he put an exclamation point on it, ending you know the, the game with uh, defensive player of the game honors in that win over Clemson in the title game. Uh, speed was evident at the combine, ran a 4-5-40, um, was third fastest among uh, linebackers, uh, which also means that athleticism to be the off, uh, off-ball linebacker, excuse me, on the field, quickly di- diagnoses plays, uh, very decisive in his movements, reacting in an instant without any wasted movement to the football, tremendous lateral agility uh, to quickly move from gap to gap, scrape over the top, um, you know, arrives to the football player under control, physical tackler, delivers good pop, wrapping up, driving through with his hips, athletic enough to cover tight ends and running backs, takes good angles, uh, to get into the passing lane, win in zone coverage, I think he can be an immediate starter. Can plug in, you know, plug him in wherever he's needed, you know. And so you've you've uh, restructured the deal there for Kiko Alonso. So he may not be the the, the uh, 
may remain the, the middle linebacker. You can kick him outside, kick Queen outside, and then depending on what happens with, with Alonzo, you can move him in there to that middle linebacker spot and be just fine. Um, you know, Alonzo, going back to trustyspottrack.com, um, you know, and, and Alonzo, he did sign a one-year three, $3.15 million contract. He's going to be a free agent. Alex Anzalone, who's penciled in as a starter there at the outside linebacker position, um, he's in the last year of his rookie deal uh, as well. So when you're looking at that linebacker position, I think this makes a, a lot of sense, really get some of that youth infusion um, there in that linebacking position and give some athleticism as well. Um, Saints don't have a ton of picks in this draft. They only have five, um, but I think they're going to make them count. I'm looking at the the tight end position in round number three. Um, again, not going with a receiver, and you're going to ask, well, why why not go with the receiver there? And uh, you know, there is a good chance in round number three that they do go receiver. Um, you know, let's see who's still on the board. Um, just looking at my draft board, which again, you'll be able to pick up on the website, readyforthedraft.com. Um, Antonio Gandy-Golden, you know, a big uh, physical wide receiver would be on the board. Before they draft, you know, who else do I have in round number four? Isaiah Hodgins um, out of Oregon State um, would be on the board as well. Uh, Lynn Bowden out of, uh, out of Kentucky provides some versatility. Uh, Colin Johnson potentially as well out of Texas. Um, so there are some receivers that they'd be able to pick up there in round number three, but you know I think getting the chance and the opportunity to get another tight end uh, on the roster um, to me uh, is something that I think they need to do for Drew Brees. Uh, they have Jared Cook, you know, has been great um, you know the last couple of seasons. Um, Josh Hill, you know, not really a, a guy that. Um, can be consistent as a as a pass catcher. I'm looking at a guy who was not only the the John Mackey Award winner there for for Lane Kiffin's Florida Atlantic Owls, but uh, was also a thousand yard receiver at the tight end position, and that's Harrison Bryant. He's honestly my favorite tight end. He's my number one rated tight end, and here's the reason why: six five, two hundred forty pounds. Uh, 65 receptions, over 1,000 yards, as I said, 15.4 yards per reception, seven touchdowns. Uh, a guy who just, he's not overly fast, but he looks so smooth um, in, in his routes. He's a natural ca- pass catcher, uh, very confident with his hands, a guy who can stretch defenses vertically up the seam, but also his route running ability can create some separation as well. Um, as I mentioned, ran a 4.7340 at the Combine. Uh, but a guy who I, I think can be a presence down the football field. And if you line him up in the slot um, and line up Jared Cook, whether he's in line uh, on the line of scrimmage or if he's split out as well, just gives you more versatility and more weapons and more options there for Drew Brees. So when do they go receiver? I think they end up going receiver in round number four. And I'm looking at Van Jefferson out of Florida. Now, there's a good chance Van, Van Jefferson come up, come off the board earlier, and I think he'd be a, a second to third round pick in any other draft, but with the wide receiver class being as, de- as deep as it is, I think Jefferson falls uh, a round or so down because of that. A uh, 6'1", 200 pounds, um, you know, the son of, a, of an NFL wide receiver in, in Sean Jefferson, and, you know, really you can tell that he's a well-coached, uh, receiver, not going to be a burner, but a guy who just knows how to get open. Um, and, and he was so fun to watch. 
over 2,100 yards in his career, 16 touchdowns. Um, transfer from Ole Miss, if you'll remember. Um, played his last two seasons there for the Gators. But, you know, he, he's a guy who, you know, is is sudden with his route running. Um, a guy who does a really good job um, varying his his release. You'll see, a, you know, quite a few different, uh, the footwork is, is exceptional um, to set his man up. And you know, just when you think he's he's running a slant, he's uh, you know he's he's generating a different type of a release, and now he's going to go ahead and run run a corner route instead. Then he's going to run a post on you. Um, you know, really able to vary up, like I said, the releases. Really be able to vary up what he what he's doing there. Um, very reliable with his hands as well. Um, you know, can make some plays after the catch. As I said, his dad, Sean Jefferson, did a tremendous job coaching his son, um, coaching him up, and a guy who I think um, could come in, be a, a starter uh, opposite Michael Thomas, and I think that you know with that duo, um, they could do a lot of damage there in the NFC South. Um, looking at another receiver, you know, I was looking at the at the receiving core in round number five. I think another receiver could be in store for uh, for New Orleans. And, uh, you know, they've got Traquan Smith, but, you know, there's really not a whole lot behind him. Um, so if you have Michael Thomas, you have Van Jefferson, you have Emmanuel Sanders, you have Traquan Smith, you need another receiver in there. And I'm looking for another possession type receiver, I think. Um, you know, I was thinking possibly a burner, but um, I'm looking at Tyler Johnson. And you're saying, well, why is Tyler Johnson falling all the way to the fifth round? And... You know, it was just one of those things for me. I, I the separation is really what worries me. And you're gonna say, well, why? I mean, you know, over 200 receptions, 3,300 yards, back-to-back thousand-yard seasons, 33 touchdowns, including back-to-back uh, double-digit touchdowns uh, seasons. A guy who uh, he runs the slant to perfection. This is a guy who. You'll see him run that slant over and over. Just has a knack for getting a, a quick release off the line and uh, sets his man up, you know, with a quick jab step to the outside, and and then he's he's squaring his body to the to the quarterback and making that catch, creating just a little bit of separation to get those slants. Um, but can he can he separate down the field? I think ty- the thing with, for me with Tyler Johnson is I, I think he could absolutely be a a third round pick, but I think he can also fall to the fifth round. And if he does that, I think he'd definitely be on uh, New Orleans radar. And uh, if you can add him to the mix as well, I think he'd be worth doubling up for uh, at that receiver position. And then in round number six, uh, you know, I, I think you could potentially be seeing the Saints look at a, at a corner. And the reason why is you look at him and you're like, well, the Saints have Janoris Jenkins and they have Marshawn Lattimore, um, Patrick Robinson kind of up and down. Um, you know, Eli Apple is gone. Um, he's still a free agent. Uh, didn't end up, things didn't work out with the Raiders, so he's still a free agent. Um, but I think you need to add another corner there. Uh, Patrick Robinson, like I said, up and down play. You have solid starters, but you really need a guy who can be that third corner. And I'm looking at a guy like A.J. Green out of Oklahoma State. Um, excellent length, 6'1", 202. Uh, the biggest concern there, ran a 4'6", 240. Uh, but I thought his postseason performance um, in the in the All-Star games really 
showed that he can he can make plays on the outside, that he can um, he has some cover skills. Again, the long speed, some stiffness in his hips as well, but a guy who can um, showcase some cover ability. Um, you know, 21 pass breakups in his career, six interceptions, really wasn't able to, uh, to duplicate that, that four interception season there as a sophomore, did have 11 pass breakups as a junior, and uh, as a senior, Teams really shied away from him. He only had one interception and five pass breakups, but that's because they didn't really want to pick on A.J. Green. They're looking at Rodarius Williams on the opposite side, and that's really who they wanted to focus on. So he didn't see as many passes coming his way. So the stats are a little bit deceiving in terms of his productivity, and it's really because teams did not want to throw his way. You know, He was really known in the Big 12 as one of the better defensive backs in that conference, and uh, so quarterbacks were really smart. They stayed away from him. And, uh, you know, if you watched Oklahoma State football, um, you know that, you know, Rodarius Williams got picked on quite a bit. So that's really how I see the NFC South taking shape. And, uh, you know, I feel pretty good about about my selections and, and uh, my projections on, on where I see guys going and, and really you know, where the fits might might be. Um, and, and for me, I look at these players and this is one of those things. It's really the culmination of a lot of hard work. Um, you know, I've watched over 200, probably 250 games, uh, pretty much from beginning to end, um, on mostly, uh, FBS, uh, games. Although I, I have tried to tune in and watch as many FCS games as possible as well. Um, and, and so, by the time I'm done with the season, I have a pretty good feel for the players. Then it's a matter of really also studying the NFL, you know, taking a look at the teams, taking a look at the rosters, and uh, it's kind of hard to do a mock draft before free agency because you know those projections really go out the window once you have free agency take shape. And as I talked about in my 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 last podcast. Um, I also have to make sure that I don't fall for a team that's really focusing on a position in free agency that doesn't necessarily um, keep them from drafting a player high in that draft. And, and I mentioned it in the last podcast, but I'll say it again. Tampa Bay, who we just talked about, they really addressed that linebacker position in free agency. Last season, you know, they brought in Shaq Barrett and they really, you know, focused on on that linebacking core. And, uh, you know, there was talk, what, what was going to happen with Levante David? Was he going to move inside? What was going on there? Is Devin White going to get drafted there? And I kind of shied away from that because of all the activity at that linebacker position. I should have stuck with my gut. You know, if you, if you go back and look at my very first mock draft that was done in January, I had Devin White going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so I I think that's one of the things I really have to trust my gut in terms of who's going to be the best fit. What really just feels right. Um, in these situations, I had Cleveland Furrow going number four overall, uh, a season ago, I scrapped that. And where does he end up going? Number four overall to Oakland. So it's something that I really need to pay attention to. And we're going to be talking about the AFC South in the next podcast. And I look at a guy like Jordan Love. There's talk about him being a first-round quarterback. And you know, given the current layout of the uh, first round, I don't see Jordan Love going in the first round You know, based on 
the the draft order and where everybody sits right now. But I'm looking at a team like Indianapolis. I could potentially see Indianapolis. They traded away their first round pick to San Francisco. They got their three technique. They got the Forrest Buckner and Chris Ballard at the combine said that, hey, the, the three technique is what drives everything defensively. They got their three technique. They need a quarterback. They've got Phillip Rivers. You know, Phillip Rivers, not really sure how long um, he's going to be there in a Colts uniform. May just be for a year. Um, you got Jacoby Reset on the roster, but you know he wasn't really a guy that. You know, that's a big reason why they they brought in Phillip Rivers. He wasn't a guy that solidified his status as the starter and didn't really take uh, control of that offense. So there's concern there. He's more of a backup, playing in that backup role, spot starter type of quarterback, not a guy who's going to be that that featured starter at the quarterback position. You're going to need to find your future face of that franchise. And I'm looking at Jordan Love. It could be in round number one, but you know I've got him going off the board to the Colts in round number two. I want to make sure I get the team right. It may I may not have the right round. But I'm going to make sure that I get the team right. And I think that's ultimately what's going to happen with, with Jordan Love. I think Indy trades into round number one. They, you know, Chris Ballard is going, to, uh, is going to look for the right value. He and Frank Reich pull the trigger, end up taking Jordan Love. So that's one of the things that I really see with, with the draft. And what I try to do is if I see the right fit with the right team, we're going to see trades. We're going to see teams trade up. We're going to see teams trade down. Um, I thought that Kansas City was going to ultimately take Deshaun Watson. I got fooled and it ended up being Patrick Mahomes. Um, But I had KC down in the 20s taking uh, Deshaun Watson. And so at the end of the day, you know, teams are going to trade up and try to land their their quarterback of the future. I want to make sure that I'm at least getting that team right, you know, when it's all said and done. Um, So we'll be taking a look at the AFC South. In addition to the Colts, you'll have the Jacksonville Jaguars, um, you know, what are they doing there? Is it going to be uh, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw makes a lot of sense there as well. Um, you know, I, I think either way, Jacksonville probably going to look defense. They have two picks in round number one. Is that other edge rusher? Is it going to be AJ Epinesa? Um, they do need to find a way to replace Calais Campbell opposite Yannick Ngakwe, who got the franchise tag, and who knows how long he's going to be there in, in Jacksonville, Houston. They made the big trade, traded away uh, DeAndre Hopkins, brought in a running back. They needed a running back. They brought in David Johnson. I- I'm looking at a guy like Brandon Ayuk. I, I think in-, in round number two could be that guy to be that number one receiver in Houston. I think that absolutely makes makes sense for me, um, for them. And then Tennessee. Tennessee is going to need you know need to find corner help. They're going to need to find an edge rusher. They're going to need to find an offensive tackle. And I think they're also going to need to find a way to replace um, Jarrell Casey there. I, I think you know, moving to the, the three technique, you'll see, uh, or from the three technique to the five technique will be Jeffrey Simmons. And I think you'll still need to find that three technique. And uh, so I, I think those are some of the, the real key need areas for Tennessee. And I think you're going to see um, you know, the first four picks really address all of those needs um, there for Tennessee. And then in round number seven, they'll be able to address uh, the offensive side of the football. Uh, so we'll get into all of that. I'll have it released here in the next couple of days. And um, I'll also work on getting that website updated, 
get my my seven round mock draft out there. Um, hope you've enjoyed the content. Hopefully this has been an escape and a release for you. I know it has been for me. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy your weekends, everyone. Be safe. Be healthy. Make sure you wash your hands. Hand sanitizer, Lysol. You know, be mindful of the social distancing. Shelter in place. Um, also, make sure that you're ordering from your uh, from your local restaurants. You know, we got to do everything we can to support them. Um, and uh, we'll go ahead and pick this up and do it all again here in the next couple of days. Uh, so for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Take care, everyone, and I am out of here.